up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. I hope you're doing awesome. And I've tried to not say the word awesome anymore. I had a buddy tell me that's what like people who work with high school kids say. Like, oh, that's awesome. And I'm trying not to say it, but I just said it. And I'm sorry, but I'm so glad you're with us. Listen, the special show. It's the 100th episode show. We've done a hundred of these things. We've gone from Deloney does not have social media and does not know how Instagram works, which according to some of you who write into me, still don't know how that works, to we have crossed the hundred show mark. We are off to the races and um, I, I'm, I can't even tell you. This is so surreal. It's, it's been a mind bender. I'm so grateful for everybody who listens to this show, who tells their friends, hey, you got to listen to this episode. you got to go check this guy out. I'm so, so, so grateful. Thank you so, so much. So here's the deal. In my nerd world, uh, when I was a researcher nerd and an academic guy, what I was really fascinated by was, quote, unquote, people that had made it, right? Doctors, lawyers, people who were winning in business, um, faith leaders, folks in communities that other people look to them for answers. How do I be well? What do I need to be doing now? And what I was always fascinated by was the more successful people became, the lonelier they got, the tighter their circles became. And suddenly they start seeing the world a little bit differently. They start acting a little bit differently. Their world starts orbiting other things that most of us don't understand. And here's the thing. When, I, when you get behind the, the, the fake lives and the plastic lives and the curtains, I found out there were people just like me. And it gave me a lot of peace. And it changed my the way I blamed people for stuff and pointed fingers at people for stuff. And so here's the thing. It was a hundred episode, 100th episode. Is that how you say that, James? 100th? It's the 100th episode. It's the 100th episode. And I thought, man... My love for sitting down with somebody and having a deep conversation that people have never heard before, getting to the question and the story, behind the question and behind the story, and my love for digging into folks who have quote-unquote made it. I'm so excited. Dave Ramsey himself joins me on today's show, talks about some things I don't think he's ever talked about publicly, talks about how things fell apart, scorched earth, and he had to rebuild from the floor up. And some of the things he did intentionally, some of the things he still worries about, struggles about, some of the things that he still does in his life every day to make sure he's whole and he's well, and what grief looks like, what loneliness looks like, all of it. We go there, and I'm so excited. I'm so grateful that you joined me on the show, and I'm really excited to let you guys see what I get to see on a daily basis, which is the guy behind the, the microphone, right? When the microphone's turned off. Um, and I'm just so thrilled. So stay tuned. It's, it's, it's a wild ride. By the way, um, he said one of his favorite songs was the Eagles, and so we don't have a favorite song on this one. And so just sing your favorite Eagles song and just assume that was the song of the day. Cool. Stay in school. Don't do drugs. This is Dave Ramsey on the 100th episode of the Dr. John Deloney Show. Well, Dave, it's good to see you, man. <laughs> Dude, you too, John. I am the worst. I, I watch some of my colleagues. You, y'all are so good at getting into shows and out of shows. And there's two minutes left, and nobody knows. There's this whole piano playing that's going on that the average listener has no idea. And there is no more awkward person in this building than me at getting into a show, getting out of it. It's like, hey, well, it's over. See you later. We, <laughs> See could, you later. we, could, we could probably get him some bump music, James. What do you think? No, we don't. No, we're good. Bump, <laughs> <See>? bump. <laughs> I don't. I don't Gotta have, have a, some bass though. Saxophone. 
It's all about that base. It's, I, I just can't. Anyway, so it's good to see you, man. You too. Um, so, in in obviously, this show is very similar to your show, but very very different too. Where we get a lot of calls about questions, but the goal here is to get behind that question mm-hmm. and to talk to the people that these questions are happening to, right? And mm-hmm. often people think this is the thing that's going on in my life. It's not, right? There's other things going on. And if I get deeper than that, one of the things that I've I've noticed over the last 15, 20 years is people operate every day with these words that are running through their heads all day. Mm-hmm but they don't have a picture for what that reality looks like. And they think that everyone in their world around them has got it more together. Everything's going great. Everything's looking wonderful. And if someone's got a radio show is on TV or they have an exercise program, whatever it is, they don't experience all these other things that are really just normal everyday run of the mill experiences that we all as people are experiencing all the time. Right. And so I love this segment. We've had some, some few interviews on the show, but, I love having these conversations where we can take somebody who's got a persona, got a, got a public face, if you will. You have less of a persona. You're kind of who you are, who you are. But then say, um, tell me about, elaborate this for the listener, right? Give somebody some, some a ringside seat as to what this experience was like. And so I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, just for the average person, obviously, if someone's listening to this show, they know who you are. Give us the, the, the story, right? The story that is the, the arc of the, that began the Ramsey, the Ramsey, the, the get out of debt, the baby steps that I want to be a part of helping other people. Take us back to that uh, original story. Sharon and I graduated from college. We were broke. Um, she was driving a Pinto. That's how broke we were. <laughs> this is a bad car, John. And, um, I went through a, I got fired from a job. Um, still don't know why I got fired. The guy just came and cussed at me and threw me out of there. I probably did something that I deserved, but I wish he just told me he's dead now. And I won't even, I'll never know why. I You'll got never fired. know I'm me. Bitter. <laughs> but uh, I got fired and I came home and I always been around the real estate business. Mom and dad were in the business. I got my license when I turned 18. So I thought, I'm going to real estate business. I'm going to. And so I went to work for a builder for a while. And then I decided to start buying and selling real estate and uh, the nothing down real estate seminars and uh, the this is actually before there were actual infomercials to tell you how to do it, you know. Uh, and and but I went to these nothing down seminars, which were hokey. And but I but it, what it did do is it made me believe I could do it. And so uh, I, I bought our first investment property at 23 years old. And by the time I was 26, I had four million dollars worth. You have kids? Uh, no, the kids came later. Okay. And the um, uh, and so we. Um, you know, so you're a 26 year old millionaire. Yeah, and I, I, no more pintos. But I right? borrowed, um, but it's all borrowed money. I mean, I borrowed three million dollars to get the four million dollars worth. So three minus, I mean, four minus three is one. So I'm a, I'm a millionaire. But it's all in real estate. So I got no cash at all. I mean, I had spare cash flying around. I was making a couple of hundred a year, which in 1983 was a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. But uh, uh, but uh, you know, I worked all the time, and I was an arrogant little. Uh, person and um you can say it on this show man and uh yeah i own the show so i probably shouldn't <laughs> but um but the uh, um but anyway i uh <laughs> yeah and, and so i'm driving a jaguar i thought i was all kind of ba right i thought i was something else and um all worried about how everything looked i met god mm-hmm. on the way up when you say that what does that mean i mean i started going to a church 
and I fell in love with Jesus, and I got baptized, and I started learning the Bible, which I knew nothing about. Um, and um, it started changing me. And um, along that story arc, of course, the banks got sold to another bank, and they called our notes. We had a lot of short-term notes because we were doing flips. Mm-hmm. So we have a 90-day note, and if the house didn't sell, we just renew it for 90 more days till it sold. But all of a sudden, they said, after 90 days, we want all our money. And so, I mean, the whole thing, this house of cards came crashing down. And we almost made it. Um, I paid the $3 million down to uh, down to uh, under $300,000. Whoa. And I almost made it. But it took two and a half years. And one year I made 250000 The next year I made $6,000. My taxable income was. And that's the year Rachel was born. And that's the year we filed bankruptcy. It was the last year. Because we couldn't make the turn. We had too many lawsuits and too many people mm-hmm. coming after us. And they're coming to take the baby bed out of the house. And it just. It just destroyed any sense of ego or confidence or uh, the word you would use is trauma mm-hmm. traumatized me uh but but in the midst of it uh you know i see we always use the phrase around here but it's very true is is um met god on the way up got to know him on the way down and um our marriage is hanging on by a thread sharon would have left but she didn't have a car <laughs> I mean, Rachel's born. We got a toddler, Denise, and um, Rachel's middle, right? Yeah, Rachel so had two. Yeah, Rachel was born in April. We filed bankruptcy in September, and September was the end of the two and a half year fight. And how old? How much older is Denise than Rachel? Three years. So one of the most common calls we get on this show is, "Hey, my marriage is a mess." And when I back out and say, "All right, start give me some details," they say, "Well, we got two kids under three. And yeah. I always stop and yeah. say. Your life's a mess anyway, right? Yeah. Just hang on, because it's gonna. Yeah. It, but you, well, I mean, Sharon, you had that. Sharon was a single mom with two babies. That. Okay, because you're running. Because I'm, I'm just running around working sixty hours a week, selling stuff, trying to keep from going bankrupt, right. and trying to eat, and trying to keep the lights on, and they weren't kept on; they got cut off, and then keep the water on, and it wasn't cut off, you know. And um, I mean, we were so broke. Of course, I'm handy because I was always working on houses my whole life, and so uh, when they cut the water off, I had a water meter tool. I just went and cut it back on. Right. Um, and then they came out and cut it off, put a lock on it. And then I took my bolt cutters, cut the lock off and cut it back on. And then they came out and took the water meter out. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so, uh, they don't, they don't like you it's taking water if you're hillbilly. not paying the D, <laughs> if you're not paying the bill. So eventually I had to pay the bill and I was, I mean, I'm trying to feed my family. I mean, I was broke and, uh, it was not, not anything I'm proud of, but I really did do that. And, uh, if I could have figured out how to do that with the electric meter i would have done that too but i couldn't figure it out without getting electrocuted and dying so i mean we had the lights cut off we had everything we had stuff towed we had we were foreclosed on we were sued and it was just two and a half years of unmitigated hell and when we went bankrupt i'll never forget um we had been so scared for so long and i didn't know i was scared and i was so broken and I just stand in the shower and cry. And I remember driving away. I can show you the stoplight on Charlotte Pike where I was here in Nashville. I was driving away from this little attorney's office, and we just signed the paperwork. And when you file bankruptcy, it puts a stay, a stop on all collector activity, all creditor activity. They can no longer contact you. Mm-hmm. And I've been battling these guys with clubs and knives and bazookas for two and a half years, day in and day out. Been lied to, stepped on, kicked, spit on, and deserved most of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting at that stoplight. I'm 28 years old with a brand new baby. I don't have any way to make money. I'm out of business. Mm-hmm. I had an incredible peace wash over me. Mm-hmm. It's like the other side of the trauma mm-hmm. 
this thing just washed over me. And I thought, man, I can breathe. I'm going to be okay. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be okay. I don't know where we're going to get food next week, but we're going to be okay. Because I, I don't have this monkey on my back anymore. Yeah, that's one of the most common things I hear when people are going through something, and you realize I haven't exhaled for two years. Yeah. I haven't. Hmm. Yeah. I haven't looked my kid in the eye in two years, yeah. right? I mean, I, my countenance changed, literally, mm-hmm. in six months. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a spiritual piece, yes. Um, and, and But it's just getting that crap off of us. And so when somebody calls my show 30 years later now, and I can hear it, mm-hmm. I can hear it. Just like you can hear it on yeah. this show. Well, I, I watch you. You've you've done enough trauma work. I mean, you can hear somebody. You're hearing between the lines when they're faking it, the nervous laugh or whatever. And I I can tell when they're when when they're getting ready to start crying because yeah. I can feel it. I, I know that. I know what it feels like to have that lump in your throat. Right. Well, and that's the difference between reading a book about something and having sat in that seat and stared at that stoplight. Yeah. Right. And taking that. Oh man, I haven't I haven't exhaled in two years, right, or three yeah. years, and. W- w- when I hear a, you know, a Phoenix from the Ashes story, like I'll hear this, and now we look at this building, right? You got a thousand employees who just built the other building for the other two. Like you've 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 been a part of this, not been a part of you orchestrated this extraordinary journey since then. When I look at a story like this, or I look at the super weight loss story, or I look at the fill in the blank story, right. what I always think is, man, that must have been tough. Then look how great. So I got a model and I got a map now from here to here. And then I go like weight loss or exercise. Then I go the next morning and I just work out as hard as I can. I go do it. And then that next morning, I'm so sore I can't move. Yeah, yeah. And then the only thing that makes that soreness goes away is a box of donuts or something, right? <laughs> and so chocolate covered. Oh, I don't care what's, yeah, any donuts are so good. So if for somebody listening here, you, you, you were scared. You felt it. It's easy to blow by that and say, and then I had this moment of peace, and then I, I exhaled, and then I turned around. No, we didn't turn around. What, what, yeah, what, what does that fear like – you remember those days going out and that anger you have when somebody cuts your water off, but they also – there's that indignation, and I'm going to mm-hmm. break the rules, but i got to – my family needs water, right? Like walk somebody through the, the heart racing, right? Well, and, and it's, it's – um just because you're at the bottom doesn't mean the transformation's over. No. I saw the other day, he, so this man has hit rock bottom and he appears to be digging. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was 1988 September when we filed bankruptcy. We started the radio show in 1992, mm. June. So that's almost four years later. Right. Uh, wrote Financial Peace, you know, three years later. So something happened during those other three years, you know. What, you know, how are we surviving? That's the part what's, what's happening, that, and that's the that's the uh, you know that's the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. <laughs> it's the Maccabees, you know. What I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. So it's the uh, uh, the the quiet time, uh, the, the the silent period, or whatever you call it. But uh, there, there's a healing, mm-hmm. a cocooning, a growing, uh, uh, you know, picking the scabs off, mm-hmm. uh, and all all of that process. That's um, you know, Sharon and I, uh, when we hit our 10, you know, when all that stuff was happening, we, we had been married at, in, uh, we got married in 82. So in 88, we'd been married six years when we hit bottom. So um, at the 10 year mark, we almost divorced. Right. 
four years after it all happened. Why? Because we were too concentrated on freaking existing to even worry about having a feeling or being wronged or having any rights or anything else. But once we healed up enough and got enough money, uh, then we went, you know, I don't like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, and she's like, by the way, back then you pissed me off. And I'm like, that's four years ago. Get over it, you right. know? But no, and, it, and so we end up in marriage counseling for, for four years trying to survive and learn how to be married now again. Uh, or for the first time in a new way with a new set of certain new set of rules and circumstances. So that all is going on during that quiet period, so to speak, um, and really bleeds over into the early days of when they started this show, and uh, the, 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 the not this show, but the Dave Ramsey show uh, back in the day, or the Money Game it was called back then. So and, how does an East Tennessee guy who's got you have to have some swagger to become a twenty six year old real estate mogul? And then falls off and then is immediately into hustling again. I got to feed this family. Yeah. I don't have a choice. How in the world does that guy um, summon the humility to go to a, a therapist? Therapist was not a thing back then. That was, you, I mean, no, it, it was, wasn't, no. there wasn't a marriage therapist on every corner like there is now. No. And, and uh, but, you know, basically we're going, we, I looked at it like going to class. Okay. Like I learned some new tools. Like I don't know how to do this, so I need somebody to teach me how to do this. Yeah, but that's a special level of humility, Dave. Well, I didn't know how to do it. I mean, it wasn't. It was. Yeah. It was. Not, it was not. <laughs> I guess there was it was no, not like. Was, I think I know how, but I'm going to be humble. No, it wasn't. It was like I, I don't know what the crap I'm doing here. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't know how to be married, yeah. and uh, I certainly didn't know how to be married with, from a Christian perspective. And so I'm studying scriptures, and you know, we're going to Christian marriage retreats and Christian marriage weekends and seminars and this stuff. And so I'm learning the scriptural concepts of this and, and, you know, I'm starting to learn how to apply them and, you know, but, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and I'm dying and being reborn, right. uh, literally, uh, in so many facets of my life, but certainly spiritually, uh, in, in that process. And so I, it really wasn't, it was more like, uh, and it wasn't really like this desperate thing, but it was, I don't know how to fix this and I don't have, and the manual I've got is confusing. Mm. So I need somebody to guide me through the manual. And it was just, for me, it was like a practical thing. That makes any sense. But I, yeah, but and, it, and I didn't go to fix her. I did, that, I, 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 I'll, I'll give myself a little credit. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't go, I'm taking you to marriage counseling to straighten you out. Because I was well aware that the majority of it was me. And I also knew enough about trauma. I wouldn't have called it that in those days. But I, you know, I'd studied enough, enough psych in school and that kind of stuff to get the idea that we'd been through hell and it affected both of us. Right. And so we were damaged goods trying to, two damaged people. Hmm. I, I mean, my insecurity was magnified off the roof because right. I'd, I'd lost all confidence yeah. and competence as if I had any. And her, uh, her insecurity turned into just sheer terror. Yeah. She's afraid every move I was going to make was going to put us in the street. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and rightly so it right. had, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, we had to work through some, did you have a family map for that or were you no. out in the woods on no, this? We one? were out in the woods. I mean, we had church family. But I mean, you, you didn't have like a um, a mom or dad that went through stuff, and you no. saw them treat each other this way, no. or my aunts and my cousins. parents are you know her parents and my parents stayed married their whole lives. Okay. They were you know, but that's all we knew. We didn't know how they did it, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, uh, and we knew and we knew it was messy. 
of you course. know, how you do it. Because it is always messy. Right. Uh, and if you think it's not messy, you're lying. You yeah, know? that's right. So, um, you know, or you haven't been married long um, or whatever. And a lady came up and said, I had never had a fight with my husband in 35 years. And I said, that's because you're a liar. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, the book lines. He does, he stuff. does drugs. Say, yeah, people <laughs> stuff say in book lines, right? But, um, but yeah, that and so that's all in that pretext. And really, that hasn't changed because, like, you know, I start running a business and I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing. So I got to get, you know, John Maxwell in my corner. I got to get Henry Cloud in my corner. I got to and I didn't even know these men. I start reading their stuff. They become friends later, but... Uh, because, but, but they, yeah, I had to have a guide to lead me through the forest on these different things that I didn't know. And I'm still looking, I, I don't look for a singular mentor. I don't believe in that. These, I need someone to be my mentor thing. I don't do that stuff. But, um, but I do, I do look at a guy and go, he, he's got a good marriage. Okay, dude, what are you doing? Or that guy's good. Look at his kids turned out. How'd you do that? You know, because I'm afraid to kill mine. <laughs> so, but the, I, how do you let them live and they turn out? You know, it's, it does sound so A plus B equals C. Like I need to learn how to how to fix this vacuum. That guy knows how. I'm gonna call that guy. That's a that's an increase. It's an always been rare, and it's an increasingly rarer thing. Because now we got these little boxes in our phones that tell us that we know everything. We can just Google it, right? Well, yeah, but. There's not a lot of people that and do it, that. It is a type of humility, but it's not this. But what happened was I have the benefit of being humiliated mm-hmm. by being, this crushing experience going through, losing everything. And so I, there was nothing left uh, that said Dave knew anything. Right. And so it was really easy to go, I don't know how to do that because obviously I don't know how to do anything, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, you know, and so starting from that point, it, but that kid that was uh, arrogant little uh, – you know, a 25-year-old, 24-year-old, whatever, uh, would not have gone to counseling because he would not have been wrong about anything. Okay. So when I've made stupid mistakes, said stupid things, we uh, we had a joint conference, a Zoom conference with my kids, with Hank's school today. And after the meeting, I told Sheila, hey, I want to join that Zoom. And she just looked at me with that one pause, and I said, I won't embarrass us. And so we <laughs> had the Zoom meeting, and then I texted her after, did I embarrass us? And she wrote, no, and that, that, nope. And I was like, okay, good. Um, you can go home tonight. I'm good, yes. I can sleep inside. So when we do dumb things or stupid things, I wear my shame, right? I, I have to deal with me. I've got to, and I'm, I, my tendency is like you, I need to surround myself by people who know how to do things I don't know how to do. And I love, that's one of my favorite things about being alive. But my wife, I've learned over the years, wears it too in a different way. How did, to the best that you understand, how was Sharon walking through this? As someone who'd hitched her wagon to a smooth talking, yeah, multimillionaire, then then wasn't, you yeah. Know. Um, I mean, her first thing she would tell you was that she was terrified, that the experience terrified her, mm. and so we had to put, um. Marriage counseling did this, and Common Sense did this, too. We had to put rules in our life that keep me from doing something without her agreement that's going to terrify her. And so, uh, for instance, we don't spend over $500, either one of us, without first talking about it. To this this day. We do live on a budget, yeah. Yeah, I'm worth hundreds of millions of dollars, right. and I don't spend over five hundred dollars without talking to my wife. I never go and just buy something. Now we, these days with the zeros we live with, we 
are less and less concerned about it. You know, if she wants to buy a purse that costs more than it should, I'm <laughs> just no big deal because right. that means I get another gun. But right. yeah, <laughs> so a little trade off here. But uh, you know, but it's not. Uh, so it's not like you know we're. But in the old days, it was like here we go again. It was like you're scamming and scheming again. That's what she would say. Mm. And so I don't know if that gives you insight into her mindset or not. I don't think she, I, you would have to ask her to be sure, but I didn't read her as shame. Hmm. That was me, but she didn't cause it. She just ha- was hitched to it. Yeah. You know, now she was like at a family reunion with her family. The fact that we were bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Now that she might have felt shame with that, but even with our friends and stuff, she's like, "Well, he's just an idiot," you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe not exactly that, not that raw, but I mean, she's just like she'll call it. She, she, she calls it like it is. She didn't feel like she caused it because she didn't. Okay. And so, uh, but but except to the extent that she didn't speak up, mm-hmm. and uh, years later she found her voice, mm-hmm. and it works real well now. <laughs> but. Um, but she didn't speak up. She was just kind of the Southern Belle, whatever you want to do, honey. Mm-hmm. And then later on, she got, but I knew it wasn't going to work. And I'm like, well, why don't you say anything? You're dead gum genius till after the fact. But um, so we just don't do stuff, but when, but what we're both in agreement. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't make large philanthropic gifts. We do a lot of giving to ministry through our family foundation. It's all structured. The family all speaks into it. Our kids speak into it. Sharon and I are in agreement. And if one of my buddies calls up that's got a ministry and goes, hey, I need $10,000 for this, if there's, even if I know there's room in the budget, I email Sharon and Denise. My daughter's the director of the foundation. I'm going, so-and-so's wanting $10,000. I think we've got it in the budget. I think we ought to do it. What do you all think? Mm-hmm. Now, I easily can make that decision. I make mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars decisions around the company every day without talking to them. I run it through the leadership team here. But, uh, but the accountability back to that, keeps me from walking up on thin ice that activates her old scars, mm. her old wounds. And would you, for the, both of you, are they still there somewhere? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they're, I mean, uh, will be the rest of our lives. Mm. Uh, less and less, the more and more padding you had over them, mm-hmm. and the more distance you have, the more healed they are. Uh, I mean, if you'd ask us two years later or five years later, it felt a lot different yeah. for both of us. Um, and... and uh, you know, I've, I've worked past that shame and worked past that, uh, the insecurity and the humiliation uh, uh, that I put myself through right. by owning it, but also by not doing it anymore. And I'm not that guy anymore. Right. Yeah. So I'm not that, I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I'm a better, I'm not, not, not arrived. Don't get me wrong. I'm a better leader than I was when I started. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, give, that allows me to give myself grace. Yeah. So that leads me to an identity question twofold. One is my default setting, if you will, is when things get bananas in other people's life, I head in. Like That's just how I'm wired. I'm going to head on in. Mm-hmm. When things get bananas in my life, my default setting is to just fade out, mm. just to withdraw. Yours feels like it's the exact opposite. Yeah, I go straight in. You go, like, I'm going to go swinging. Mm-hmm. Where, where does that come from? I know where mine comes from. Like where does where does that tendency to? Oh boy, I'm here. We go. I don't know. Um, could be upbringing. Uh, uh, it could be family DNA, or, or is it nurture or nature? I you know. I, uh, <laughs> how, how do you? I don't. I don't know. How I, do you? Uh, I mean, I you know, I grew up in a neighborhood that if if you know, 
where, you know, two little boys are getting a fight. Mm-hmm. I don't do that now. Right. Okay. But I mean, two, That's tw- mine too. You two, it. two 12 year old boys, you come on black eye or mm-hmm. bloody nose or something, you know, your lips swelled up. And your parents' first question is, well, did you win or what'd you say? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. You know, or who was it? And you know, whose dad do I need to call to <laughs> make sure we're all good? You know, it's, but it's not like, and the parents are all laughing about it. You know, they, but today it would be like a dead gum Facebook drama or something, right? Or the HOA would be called in or something, but or some kind of helicopter parenting. But, um, I mean, we just bust George's lip if George mouthed off. And so when there's a, when there's something coming at you, you reach and you, you fight mm-hmm. in other words. So there's probably some of that in there. And I still do some of that. Obviously I don't bust people in the mouth anymore. Right. Um, Except in my uh, fantasies, but, but <laughs> that's another show. That's another show. But but I don't. I mean, I haven't I haven't hit anybody in forty years, so life's pretty good. But so how, how um, do you? I have to when I feel myself going heading back. I have to. I've got a whole routine now. This is real quick, and and I can do it in real time. Nope. The most responsible, ethical, right, faith honoring thing is to go in this time. Yeah. How do you? Not go in. Not yeah. go in. Yeah. You have a process or do you have a, is that just routine over years or discipline or people no, in your life? I, what is you it? You know, again, I, I've, um, because there's, there's, uh, a lot of fight or flight kind mm-hmm. of, uh, psychology in this and physiological yeah. things in there, um, uh, as well. And, and, uh, and so I had to study and go, okay, from my background, from my natural wiring or my my wiring um if i if i'm going to reach over and jump into the fight uh, i need to stop and think about is it a fight mm-hmm. <laughs> or is i did i just decide it was <laughs> i mean it, is this and so it's uh it, it uh early in uh, my adult life i had a tremendous temper mm. and anger and um it was a big part of my spiritual transformation by the time i was 30 that it was gone mm. And I'm really passionate, loud, and gregarious. And sometimes people who are a little more laid back and receive me as anger, but it's not anger. Gotcha. I very seldom get really, really, really like out of control rage type anger. Like yeah. pulse rate goes up, eyes dilate, hands sweat. You know, like little, we're on it now. Yeah, yeah, it's game on. Mm-hmm. I almost never because I, I it was such a spiritual exercise for me early in my faith walk to get that under control. Mm. Because the, 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 the wrathful man in Proverbs doesn't have much good happen for him. Nope. And he had to be, uh, uh, he, he had, I had to die to him and he had to grow up. And uh, so I, I very seldom lose my, I mean, in, in 30 years of running this company, I have completely lost it with a team member two times. Mm. Two times. Yeah. You know. And, um, and, and they were not good and uh, I can recount them and it's like going on a bender or something, you know, you go, (laughs) I ain't ever drinking that again, you know? And so it was not a fun trip for me or them. That's Um, fascinating because I can remember two or three times, four or five times over the last several years when I kept my mouth shut and I shouldn't have, and I leaned back. And I should have, you know what I mean? And yeah. so it haunts me in that same way, right? Yeah, it's just opposite way. Reverse, action yeah. or inaction, either yeah. one. But yeah. but it, it's, uh, and so it just becomes part of your spiritual walk, your uh, psychological uh, growth pattern to go, okay, I'm going to grow up because children act like that. Yeah. Children shrink back when they should step in or children reach over and bloody somebody's nose. 
right. you know, and, and that, that's a childish reaction. That is not an adult reaction. That's someone who has no self-control and self-control is a fruit of the spirit right. for those of us that are Christians. Mm-hmm. So the second part of that identity is this. I do every, almost every caller to the show, almost everybody I've met with over the years. They carry the worst thing that's ever happened to them, the worst thing they've ever done, the worst thing someone's ever said to them. It weaves its way into their DNA. It becomes them. Mm-hmm. And it informs how they talk, how they mm-hmm. think about themselves, how they treat other people, et cetera. You've had to walk a, a – it seems like you've had to walk a really thin line between taking this worst thing that happened and – which is bankruptcy, the humility rising up from that. But you've built a company on it, and you continue to tell that story, yet it does not define you. Mm -hmm. Give some wisdom on how you've made that transition, because that to me is 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 one of the biggest challenges. I don't know how I did it, but now I I take the same calls in the sense that I hear the same thing. Um, Yeah. I think I, I, but, but somebody it, cheats on their wife 10 yeah. years ago and they I, can't get over it. I, the, the question is, have you grieved it and have you healed from it? Mm. And if you haven't, it is still your identity. Okay. Um, I don't know how I did that, but something allowed me through this process. And again, it was a spiritual transformational time in my life as well. It's very rich mm-hmm. and I'm getting over having a temper. I'm trying to learn how to be married. I've got young babies and I don't know how to raise them. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act. And I'm having to learn how to do all of these things as a man. And so in the midst of that, somehow I said, I gave myself some grief because of I did some stupid butt stuff and I broke, went, we went broke. It's my fault. And so I had to own it and then I had to grieve it. Uh, and then I had to heal from it. And if you don't heal from it, it becomes your identity. And so I have people call the show and they're like, well, you know, the reason I've got these financial problems is uh, I went through a divorce and I've got $50,000 in debt. And I'm like, and the divorce was just awful and it just destroyed my life. And I'm like, so how long ago was it? 11 years. I'm like, 11 years? The way the language they were using was 11 months. Right. Because they're st- it's still fresh. They still bathe in that acid every day. They have not moved past it. They're stuck in it. Well, back then, my husband did so-and-so. They're still stuck in that. And uh, so you got to cut the bad thing that happened to you, whether you brought it on yourself or not, loose and heal from it and grieve it. And I, I probably wouldn't have used the word grieving uh, six months ago, but you've taught me a lot about that. Just listening to you take a call on my show, our show, the Ramsey show, uh, and say, well, you have you grieved that? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, it's okay to grieve a loss, even if it's a weird loss, mm-hmm. you know, or if it's so, a teeny tiny one, or if it's a great big one, right? Yeah. It's okay to just stop and recognize that actually did hurt, <laughs> you know, <laughs> instead of just keep running on that yeah. same hurt ankle, right? You know, it's like, you know, well, I had a really, really nice car and I totaled it. Mm-hmm. And, well, you can't talk about a car that nice, and you're sad about it, because that makes you a jerk, right? And so one of the most common things, I think, you know, I've talked about this, I've, I've told, I've worked with, you know, doctors and lawyers behind closed doors, and you're allowed to be sad that you wrecked your Lexus. Yeah. What happened. Yeah. Right? You're allowed to be sad that I your lake house I my Maserati, totaled. okay? They're yeah. all on it. You're I allowed did, to be sad. You know, and it 
it hurt my feelings because I liked that car. Yep. But you can't tell people my Maserati because it makes you sound mm. like you're untouchable and you're too cool or you're snobbish or something. Which it's none of that. I just wrecked my really nice car and it hurts my feelings. You know, well, and we live in this culture of comparative grief. Right? Yeah, exactly. I've got it worse than you. Yeah, and and you're not allowed to grieve something like that. No, there's a cap, right? If it's, yeah, it's we, like we've talked if because it's above, oh, oh, well, cry me a river one percenter. You know, yeah. it's. Like, <laughs> and, and I remember, Dave. I was doing my dissertation. And I remember calling my dissertation chair saying i'm gonna have to talk about something really controversial in the defense and he said well what is it and i said really powerful wealthy people get to be sad too and they get to have good marriages too and be sad when their marriages aren't working and in fact if they can be well and whole everybody's well and whole because they run every it was just like <laughs> whoa you know what i mean and he was like Whew, okay you know what I mean? it was yeah. this whole oh yeah wait a minute man yeah. if if we're going to yeah if we're going to be about helping people be well but it goes back to man i keep thinking this word over and over dave you have this supernatural capacity to forgive yourself and i think many people don't aren't able to do that to forgive yourself to forgive circumstance to forgive it and then go about being what tomorrow's going to be yeah and that's a real that's a gift and I or think, it's a practice I, and i think it, a, it it ha- i again I, people often ask me about a lot of different things and i will go back to going broke i have the inordinate benefit of having gone broke early in my life mm. and i think it gives you that yeah if that had happened a different way at a different time in my life i might not have that it reminds but, me of old kickboxing coach that would put you against somebody way ahead of you and say when you know the worst that can happen yeah yeah, when you then you're free to actually get in there and spar yeah. and start throwing punches and kicks. Yeah, there's right? all kinds of stories that, that mm. relate that, you know. But it's, um, but I, I you know, <laughs> there's what is this show? Uh, Ted Lasso. Oh, you know, what be, a, be a goldfish. Be, yes. be a goldfish, right? Yes. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, what's the what's the animal with the shortest memory? A goldfish. Be a goldfish. Mm. So we can get into this one. This is a fun question here. So a common question that I get asked either on the Instagrams or through the emails is, uh, Delaney, you and Dave are different. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so... He's a lot smarter than I am. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And so one of the things, like one of the, 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 the my loop arounds is always, man, I have intentionally, just as a life practice, surrounded myself with people with different beliefs than me, but who have the same values as I do. Yeah, And those are two different things. One of the things I love about working with you is you've got a, I mean, and man, I wrote this question before we talked about, before I knew about your desire to learn stuff. You seem to crave other people's insights into things, whether you incorporate it or not is, is a whole other conversation, but you like to know, Hey, how did you do that? Tell me about this. Like, wh- wh- how, why yeah, are you thinking that way? If you think I'm wrong, argue with me. Yeah. yeah. I relish that. That is a, for someone who's achieved your success, that is a a freakishly rare thing. What drives that? Hmm. Uh, I don't want to make mistakes anymore. <laughs> I don't want to mess that up. I don't want to mess this up. I want to know how this works. And, um... You said yeah, something. I'm the guy that takes the, I'm the, I was the kid that took the radio or took the, the, I took my dad out a junk lawnmower and I took every bolt out of it and took the engine apart to learn how the engine worked. I had to know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that was. And the next door neighbor was mean. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's like, uh, you want to learn how spark plug works? 
Oh man! And, um, <laughs> he said, "Here, hold this," and he pulled the lawnmower through and knocked me. I fell backward, you know, knocking me back. You're, that's a hard shock right there. It's worse than worse than a light socket. But um, yeah, and but I'll never touch spark plug wire again. Nope. And I, I was ten. You never listen to a neighbor either. Yeah, I never listen to that guy again about anything. You know, here, pull my finger. You know, right. But the uh, uh, but, but it yeah, seems the, like the, the, the idea that I have to know how it works, and I, I it, you know. Uh, this Enneagram stuff, everybody's studying, I, you know, I, I, I am the quintessential eight, uh, and eight is a challenger, and I get intimacy by arguing. Mm. I enjoy that. And so Rachel and I, just for sport, yeah. argue. We're the worst, the two of us. We do it on the air, and we do it <laughs> at the at the, at the uh, Easter table last Sunday, you know. And so, uh, I mean, the rest of them are all just watching, you know, and it's just like, would you shoot? You're just, you know, you know, now you're just a conspiracy theory girl. And it's come on. So, I mean, it's just, you know, her and her conspiracy theories. But the, uh, yeah, I, I get intimacy from that. It doesn't, I don't, um, it's a, it's a rare I'm not, thing. I, I'm not mad. I'm just inquisitive. Yeah. But sometimes people take that conflict process that I use to get information mm-hmm. <laughs> as anger and, like we're gonna lose relationship or something over it. No, I don't lose relationship. That actually yeah. increases it. Gotcha. I, I man, I wish you could. So one of the the great relational turns I always want couples to make is going from judgment to curiosity. When he said that thing before you bite his head off, stop mm-hmm. and don't judge it and say, "Hey, tell me what you meant by that," or mm-hmm. vice versa. Right? You responded to that text from that woman. Before I go off the handle, tell me about it, mm-hmm. right? Or, okay, let's. Well, I want to have this kind of date before you freak out and call your friend. Like, that if you could write that book, Dave, I'm telling you, man, oh, is man. people cannot. It's it's a rare thing to enter into, especially when you quote unquote have made it right. To say, ah, tell me about that instead of just impose will, impose will, impose will, and that's a thing that I, I've. Um, so I, I love working with you. I had Art Linkletter on the air. He was here in person before he passed away. Uh, inordinately successful in like three different fields. Uh, people knew him from, uh, he was a contemporary of Walt Disney. Walt Disney was one of his personal friends. And he's telling stories on the air, and I was just enamored. And he was 88 years old when he was here. And he did 78 speaking engagements that year. I'm like, why? Why? He goes, uh, well, when you stop learning and growing, you are dead. Hmm. Whether you do that at 40 or whether you do that at 140. But he said, you might as well stay engaged because there's all kinds of aging data on the brain that says that it is a muscle and it atrophies when you don't use it. Hmm. And he said, you know, I'm doing 78 speaking engagements and I'm writing another book this year. And um, he's 88 years old. And he didn't need to financially. He didn't need to from a notoriety standpoint. He was an icon at that point. Uh, But it was just to stay engaged and just to continue to grow because if you're not growing, you're dying. Mm. So there's that. Yeah. I just, I think that's, I think that's one of the greatest things you can, one of the greatest gifts you can bestow upon yourself and those around you is that constant, tell me how that works. Let's take that apart. Yeah. How's it, how's that lawnmower work? How does that work? How's that lawnmower work? Here, hold the spark plug. (laughs) (laughs) So what makes you a good dad? I know that's a different question. You got grown kids versus little kids. 
Mm. I got an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. What makes a good dad or made me one? You. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was not a great dad. Um, I was a good dad. Uh, and uh, the the... And I got substantially better in time, mm-hmm. <laughs> just in time before before the formative years were completely gone, and before teenagers needed to be executed. <laughs> and so um, we laughingly say our kids turned out because of the nurturing of their mother and the fear of their father. Mm. Um, uh, but that you know, obviously, they were not afraid all the time, quaking in their boots from me. Um, but. We had, uh, Sharon and I both gave them very firm boundaries. Okay. Um, we did not want to create, be disciplinarians to the point that you create Stepford children. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Andy Andrews says you want to raise children who become good adults. You don't want to raise good kids. Mm, so you're playing a long game. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, and that affects how if you let them, oh, yeah, step over there. You don't do it. You know, I'm gonna let you. And there, 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 see, there it hurt, didn't it? You know, grab a spark plug wire, right? And so, you know, you learn those lessons permanently when you do that. Uh, but uh, you give them enough rope to find it, but not so much rope that they can be permanently damaged and harmed. Mm. And um, but they had real firm boundaries. Our kids, um, but they weren't like. I mean, there's always the kids, and I guess there's a spectrum in the neighborhood. We had the. You know, you have the hippie parents, I call them, and the kids just run wild. Right. It's anarchy. You know, like the two two little boys on, uh, uh, what's the, the, sh- the wonderful NASCAR thing with Will? Oh, uh, 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 Ricky, Ricky Bobby. Um, Rick, Rick, yeah, Rick, Ricky. Yeah, they, what those, is those two boys, those two kids, that's the anarchy <laughs> kids, right? Anarchy! Yeah. You know, and so, uh, until Grandma comes in and puts some, uh, and sets them straight. That's kind of how I grew up, you know, so, uh, uh, but. The, the parents that don't believe in giving their children any boundaries, and so they raise animals, not, not humans, not adults. And then there's the parents who put so many boundaries, and, so, and they make all their decisions for them that the children develop no critical thinking skills. And they can't make a decision, a moral decision in the moment. They can't make a, a physical harm decision in the moment because they've never made any decisions ever. And that's the... the, the Stepford, gra- I call them Stepford children. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking of the graduate student parents who would call and ask for yeah homework assignments and it's yeah. like your kid's 25 like what yeah. are you doing you yeah. know you know well we have them call here mm-hmm. when their 28 year old is interviewing wow. and they want to talk to hr and we're like well i think we settled that <laughs> we're pretty much not hiring this one Whoa. you know helicopter mother oh yeah. my god woman and so uh yeah there's that uh, they do everything f- for them one of my friends as a counselor called them lawnmower parents they not only helicopter for them, but they mow out the road. They so they, clear got, the they got a clear path so they can walk mm-hmm. right straight through. And, and you know, you, so you they, they don't have any muscle structure or uh, any bone structure in their character yeah. to make a decision with. But they also weren't allowed to just run loose. Mm-hmm. And so there were consequences and moral things as believers, as Christians, that we demanded. Right. You're not going to do this. Right. And they were physically afraid right, right. of violating those boundaries yeah so what would you go back and do different i would have been more affirming mm. i don't mind being tough but i would have been more affirming what does that mean uh, i just would have spent more time uh more hugs i did plenty of hugs mm. i did i was like i was there i was emotionally present those kinds of things but i would have been warmer 
warmer in general. And just by that, I mean bragged on them more directly. I did that later as I found it. But, I mean, it would have been like one of our granddaughter's um, birthday, mm-hmm. one of Rachel's daughter's birthday. And we did the happy birthday on Easter. And the whole table, you know, there's 14 of us sitting there, seven kids or six kids and eight adults and everything. And I'm just looking at little Amelia mm. and just speaking into her mm. how wonderful she is and how proud Papa Dave is of her mm. and how smart she is and how pretty she is. And you're going to be a big deal, kid. Mm. You're amazing. Mm. And just that little 30-second thing, that kid lit up like yeah. a bulb man and her daddy does that all the time and her mama does that all the time papa dave did it too though this time and so bragging on myself but i wish i'd done more of that when mine was that age well so here's how we'll redeem that today i had a a conference like i said with my kids school and i got off that conference i just thought man what a great little 10 11 year old kid yeah and here's what I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have gone home and told him that. And I'm going to go home and tell him yep. that I got to, I got to peek behind his curtain. Yep. Put hands in. On his face. Touch his face. Look at his eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and by the way, he is a great kid. Oh, he's, yeah, he's awesome. He can shoot a shotgun too, so. Yes, he uh, can. <laughs> we were out shooting clays. That little turkey's popping him, man. I mean, he don't miss. Yeah, he's better good. shot than his daddy. He, that's a low bar, man. But All right, so here's the last thing. Um. When I was deciding whether to work here, and I don't even know if you remember this, um, I had worked with, um, not in the media world, but I'd worked behind closed doors with folks who they call me and say, hey, Deloney, I'm president of such and such. I'm this and this. I think I've done the thing that's going to get me in trouble or get me fired, and I need some talk through this with me. One of the most common things that became a, uh, I just I just started beating this drum years ago, and it was, you got to have people. The, the the more successful you are, the lonelier you get. Mm. And so, I don't know if you know if you remember this, one of the questions I asked you in our interview was, who do you listen to? Mm. Who do you hang out with? And you rattled off three or four different groups. And I left, and I remember calling Sheila on the way home, my wife on the way home, and said, um, Dave and I are going to disagree about stuff, and I don't even fully know what this job is, but I trust him. <laughs> and um, But I trust him. And because he's got people to speak it to him. It's been my experience that there's a shift that happens when you become successful. So you get your medical degree and you become a doctor and you have your same buddies from med school and you have your wife's friends or your husband's friends and y'all hang out. And then suddenly you buy the practice and then you and two partners buy the other practice. And then pretty soon your house gets a little bit bigger and your car gets nicer. And then people start going to your house because it's your house, not because they're going to hang out with you. Hmm. And they start waiting for your fill-in-the-blank, your party. You have the coolest Halloween stuff or whatever. And then slowly, they, those intimate little, hey, bring whatever casserole you got, whatever half bottle of wine you got, and come over to my house. Those start going away because they just turn into shows, productions. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced in your arc a tightening of that circle or a loneliness? You you seem to really cultivate people around you. I've experienced it. Um, it it has the opportunity to do that, and the reason it does that is not because you um, uh, seek isolation or something, but uh, everyone goes through an evolution of friends. Yeah. If you're only friends when you're fifty, are your high school buddies? That's a problem. Your <laughs> uncle Rico on Napoleon <laughs> yeah, Dynamite. Okay. I mean, right. 
you know, so that's just, you, you should have outgrown some of those people. And here's this. I remember. And the, or they should have outgrown you, or we should have had value-based, you know, disagreements that don't allow us to have real close, intimate conversations yeah. anymore. And this is an important thing to... to, to like I had buddies that, you know, they're, they're doing cocaine still, and I'm 60. <laughs> yes. You know? So they're yeah. not my buddies now. Right. I mean, I'm not mad at them. I'm not mean to them. I don't right. shame them. But I don't need them hanging out at my house. Right. I remember a buddy of mine became a college president, and suddenly we didn't. I didn't go to the fights anymore. He didn't have us over. Yeah. And I remember thinking, that's the rightest, smartest thing for this guy to do. Because Deloney's a hothead, and especially 15 years ago, I'm going to say something stupid about when I was over it. So, so he, there was a natural evolution on behalf of, the, of this. Well, I wasn't. Does no, that make sense? I, I, yeah, but I'm not guarding this place or guarding our lives. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the, 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 you're going to have a few people that make it all the way through your life with you, and then you're going to develop new friends as you grow and change. Right. That you have intimacy with, in, in terms of an intimate conversation, I mean, not sexual intimacy. No, but, no, but the, uh, but the, uh, uh, you know, and so I'm Sharon and I are going to dinner tonight with a couple that we have hung out with for 35 years. So they're on the inside of the inside. They knew Dave Ramsey before there was a Dave Ramsey. Right. They they were there when I was going broke, you know, and so uh, and we're still good friends. But the guy reads like a maniac. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he's not. At, uber business successful but but very successful and uh so i don't go to him for business insights um because our scale is different but uh so that's a guy from way back but then i'm you know i i'm I'm perfectly content with um henry cloud is a really good personal friend and that's happened in the last uh eight years yeah you know, it's not 35-year relationships, an eight-year relationship. But Henry and I email once a month, once a week about something, trading some stupid joke or whatever. And um, anytime I'm in L.A., we're hanging out, or he's over here, we're hanging out. And he does events with us, and we hang out with him. And um, What's so your forth. trust metric? When is, is it a gradual thing? or do you, Oh, definitely. You go, okay. Definitely. And I'm looking uh, I'm looking for authenticity. I struggle with that. Authenticity. I struggle yeah, with cuz I can smell I can smell a fake yeah a mile away I, I'm not real discerning on some things I, it's easy to lie to me mm-hmm. I've been lied to a lot mm-hmm. um and people get away with it they want to impress you right yeah, well yeah. or period just not not yeah. just me but I mean just in general my 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 ability to detect that's horrible but uh my ability to detect a fake I can just I can walk in the room and just go yeah cuz I was one uh huh you're just you know you're just you're just acting like you know if we could buy you for what you're worth and sell you for what you think you're worth, son, you'd be something. You know, we'd make some money on you. But no, they're not. He's not a real dude, or she's not a real dude. I can smell those putting on the dog and the plastic stuff, and oh God, man, just be real. Yeah. Just go. You know, I'm just. Some days suck, some days don't. We're just, you know, let's have some meatloaf, put a little ketchup on it, and white beans and cornbread, and you know. Um, and we'll just sit down here and, and, and talk together and hang out. And we may laugh about stupid stuff. We may tell 13-year-old boy jokes. Mm-hmm. We may whatever. But let's just, you know, if, for God's sakes, be real. Yeah. How, how do you – I just I feel like in my life the temptation is to always go home and just shut the door. Do you get energy from being alone or do you get energy from other people? Oh, I'm an extrovert. I get energy okay. from other people. Okay. Sharon gets energy from being alone, so it keeps us balanced. So. Okay. So I don't overdo that, and I don't like the uh, social uh, setting, the uh, the classic uh, 
party where you stand around, you know, the drink in your hand. What do you do? And I don't give a crap, you know, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff that drives me bananas. I'm, but I, but to sit down and hang, yeah, with people that I love. And, and the thing I to, back to your other question a minute ago, I want to add to it right quick, um, because I think it's a principle other people can use, and I would suggest it. Um, as you grow, don't be afraid to ask people that are slightly or even much more successful than you at a given thing into your life if you can if they're authentic if they're real right uh because you'd be amazed at that all these successful people are are uh really all success is is a pile of all the mistakes you've made and you're standing on it rather than laying under it gotcha so they have all climbed a mountain of garbage too And understand, you know, that they have all shoveled, you know, the more new levels, new devils, right? right. That, the, you know, they have shoveled manure at levels that you hadn't shoveled it, maybe. And they have hurt at levels you haven't hurt. They've been betrayed and lied about it, maybe at levels you haven't yet. And uh, don't be afraid to hang out with them if they'll be real. Yeah. Now, you know, I know people in show business or radio or leadership training or whatever that aren't. They're fakey. But, but the, I'm amazed at somebody like at a henry cloud level uh who's sold 10 million books you know uh that that a guy like that or i can name other names i'll start dropping names i'm not gonna do that but but these guys that are uber successful they need and want friendship too yes that's my thing and so if you just ask like the first time i did that was 20 years ago i formed an eagles group we called it and um i made a list of men that i knew well and men that I just knew who they were, and I knew they had a good marriage. Hmm. I knew they were walking with God at some level, and I, I knew that they had some level of success in their field. They were music people. They were pastors of good size organizations. Uh, they were um, authors. Uh, they were business people of some kind. And I emailed 12 guys, and some of them were like, studs mm-hmm. i mean eagles mm-hmm. you know and i was like wow if i could just the fact that i could get their email mm-hmm. was kind of like intimidating and and i asked 12 of them to get together once a week and study the bible or read a book mm-hmm. and just talk and be guys together and just cr- create a group of guys for just to love each other and, and, and encourage each other and be accountable to over time as we built relationship just a short email like that you know how many of them came the first meeting all of them and these are household names. These are if I started naming them off, people today, you know, people would know who I was talking about. About nine out of the twelve are household names, and uh, one of the guys I'm having dinner with tonight, you know, is same, so he's still that group. That group lasted twelve years. But I, but what? But my my point is, is that don't be afraid to ha- invite people into your life that are new, mm-hmm. that are that that have that that have the stuff. Mm-hmm. Because they need it too, and I, I, I not only they need it, they most of my time, my experience has been they desperately want it. Yeah, they yearn right. for it. Yeah, and m- many of us go back to middle school. Yeah. I don't care how successful we are. I didn't get invited to that, so I'm just gonna. I'm gonna head home, yeah. and and I'm just gonna. I'm good. I'm cool. Yeah. And, and the cars the get nicer. Rejection. And the the, the dinners get nicer, but you're still by yourself, right? Yeah. And man, I would love to be included into a thing. We all want to be included in a thing. Yeah. But again, it goes back, Dave. I, I talk to a single mom. I talk to a dad who just wants to be a better husband. I talk to fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. And they, the expectation is these things just happen. And w- the, what you just described was a highly intentional 
I need this. I, I am valued enough that I need other people. And I'm going to do the work and get these guys' email addresses. I'm going to set it up. I'm going to go first. Yeah. It goes back to that. Well, and I knew that as we grew that I would go back to your earlier question, that I would go into isolation because I'd be too cool for school potentially, mm-hmm. and that that's where people crash. That's, that's it. That's when leaders die. Right. This is where leaders go to die. Mm-hmm. Isolation and arrogance mm-hmm. and secret lives mm-hmm. off to the side yep. and think that nobody sees this stuff. Well, God sees it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, you're not getting away from it. And so I knew, uh, I have the benefit of a wife who is not impressed at all with Dave Ramsey. (laughs) I have that same, I have the same blessing. (laughs) And so that's a, it's a good starting point for accountability. And then I had that group of guys. And when that group broke up, I formed another group with a little different mindset and a little different thing, but still with the same idea of deep relationships with men who will call you out. Right. And so when, you know, when Ramsey's getting hammered in the press, you know who's emailed me? Those eleven guys. Okay, six of them will carry my casket. Yeah, and and that man, what a, that's a great one to leave on here. But going all the way back to every single person I've ever met has crashed. Maybe not as spectacularly as, as you did. Everybody crashes. Everybody messes up. Everybody. Well, moral crash is more what I was concerned about. Or integrity yeah. crash. Or no, I'm saying all the arrogance. Way back back yeah. to your your yeah. bankruptcy, right? Yeah, yeah. We all are growing, and I don't care how small you think your situation is or how, quote-unquote, big it is. You're in a big building with your name on it. It goes back to that intentionality. I'm going to surround myself with people who know stuff I don't know because I want to learn. I'm going to surround myself with people who are going to teach me how to be a better husband, better dad, better business leader, better whatever. I'm going to surround myself with – I'm going to go first and practice friends. And that sounds so dumb, right? Because when you're a kid, they just shove – my kids will play with any rando – our kids hung out with Rachel's kids the other day. It took eight minutes, and then they're off telling yeah. stories, and I don't know what they're doing up there, yeah. right? Yeah. It's weirder with us, right, with grown-ups. We have too many shells and layers and whatnot. It's going first and saying, I deserve to have friends. Well, they're so desperate to be impressive that you're not. <laughs> that you impress nobody because you're alone, <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, but you're not impressive because you're fake. Yes. You know? So you're just you're putting up all this stuff instead of just going, hey, there's some good here and there's some bad. Get ready, man. <laughs> I'm bringing the casserole. That's Get ready. exactly right. <laughs> yeah. It. It's beautiful. Well, brother, thanks for your time. It's super valuable. Honored to have you. And listen, I'm so proud of what you're doing here. Thanks, man. It's absolutely amazing. I listen to the podcast on my runs and my walks in the morning. And uh, you're taking some weird calls and you're taking some <laughs> good calls and you're helping a lot of people. And I'm so proud of the Dr. John Deloney show and Dr. John Deloney and the, the well, help you're giving people. And I'm proud it's part of our team here. Well, I'm grateful for you, man. And, and for the, the listeners, I, there was a moment when I said um, that exact thing, Dave, I don't, I don't know what this job is. And you're asking me to, I'm going to leave something that I've worked for 15, 20 years to do. I've never done this. And you said, trust me. Oh, I, I knew you could do this. And, man, I'm so grateful that I did. I knew this was going to be big. Ah, and it's just begun. Man, it's, it's going to be mammoth. It's a silly little thing we're doing here. Yeah. It's wild, man. Get ready, baby. Hold well, on. Well, I'm grateful for you. Appreciate you. It's a and, bull ride, uh, baby. Hold on. <laughs> I know. My father-in-law rode bulls, man. <laughs> He's been telling me that for years. All right. Appreciate you, man. Have a good night. You too, brother. Take care. Hey, what's up? Thank you so much for sticking around and listening to my interview with my friend and boss, Dave Ramsey. Listen, I said at the beginning of the show we were not going to have song lyrics of the day. Uh, I asked Dave what his favorite songs were, and he was like, Eagles and some older songs. Listen, here's his favorite song. It doesn't even have lyrics. 
It's that Baker Street saxophone song that goes at the beginning, starts at the beginning of every single Dave Ramsey show, every single Ramsey show. So instead of lyrics of the day, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bring it from my heart. That's more trumpety than saxophony, I think. Is that the? That's right. You sound like the monkey in the Jungle Book doing a, a trumpet solo. Rude! I'm rocking the Baker Street saxophone. Not a saxophone. It is a saxophone. It's a woodwind. No, it, It'll work. It is in the song, but that what you just said was not a I saxophone. I don't even think a trumpet's a woodwind. Stay in school. Don't do drugs. This has been the Dr. John Deloney Show.